This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. found ourselves in the book of James tonight, and James is so rich. There's so much good stuff in the book of James uh, that you just about can't go wrong with it. And tonight's passage will be no exception for sure. But when you think of the big passages in the book of James, where we're at tonight doesn't really qualify as that. We're going to mean James chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. That's not one of those passages you look at and you go, oh yeah, I remember that, or I'm going to use that this week, or I'm going to meditate on that. It's just really good Bible stuff. And so uh, next week, uh, we're going to take a look at verse number 10. It is so good. You will not want to miss out on next Sunday because uh, I have a catchy title for next Sunday night. Are you ready for it? All sin is the same and other myths about God's law. Don't you love that? Okay, I I thought it was catchy. Nobody else did. (laughs) And so uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with how church works, when I say things like, isn't that good? You should say, amen, that's good. (laughs) Isn't that a really good title for next week's message? There we go. That was just so hard. But here's the problem. I got to preach it in the back. Did you hear that? Thank you, Ray Lister. That was gracious. But here's the thing. When a pet peeve of mine, not biblically wrong, it's just I don't like it. When people have to ask for amens, that's always bad, right? That was good, right? Amen. Somebody better say amen. And then you feel obligated to say it. You didn't say it because you wanted to say it. You said it because you feel obligated or you feel sorry for somebody. So I don't want pity amens, okay? Uh, But I thought next week is good. But here's the thing. If If you've ever heard somebody say, or maybe you've said yourself, well, all sin is the same to God. And they might even use the verse number 10. If any man offended in one point of the law is guilty of all, to say all sin's the same to God. Believe it or not, all sin is not the same to God just not. And we'll take a look at what the Bible has to say about that and other myths that people often believe about God's law. So don't miss next Sunday night. It's going to be really good. But tonight, I've entitled tonight's message, Valuing What God Values. We'll start at at the beginning of um, verse number one in in chapter number two, because I want you to see the context of this, because it all fits together in context. Uh, Week before last, uh, we talked about how God doesn't play favorites. God's not impressed by the person who's really rich or the person who graduated from this really nice school. Uh, God says don't give preference to someone who's dressed really well and then cause the other person uh, who's not dressed well to stand in the back or sit in the back so that they're not uh, a part of the group. He says, hey, don't play favorites. Don't play favoritism when it comes to God's house. And then we get down into verses uh, 5 through 9 tonight. James chapter 2, verse number 1, my brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, there also come a poor man in vile raiment. And you have respect unto him that weareth the gay clothing, and gay in this case here means uh, the celebratory or uh, happy clothing, saying to him, sit thou here in a good place, and saying to the poor, stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Then are you not partial in yourselves, and become judge of evil thoughts. Verse number five, hearken, my beloved brethren, hath God not chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and the heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But you've despised the poor. You do not rich, do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. If you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. We had a men's meeting uh, a couple of years ago, and I was talking to our men. Uh, we're having a men's uh, prayer breakfast. I realized looking at our calendar and our, the history of our church, never in the eight years of who we call a Baptist church have we ever had a men's prayer breakfast. And so we're going to do that uh, next month. And so, uh, again, often I talk to men, and we, we talk very directly and very frank because um, men, I don't have to beat around the bush. I just shoot them straight. That's kind of kind of how we do our men's meetings. They're a blast to, to be a part of, too. But I was talking to, to our guys, and I said, hey, man, if... Joe over here hits a home run in the church softball league, which we don't have a church softball league, and we probably won't ever. So uh, hypothetically, if Joe were to be, every time he gets up to bat, he knocks a home run over the fence, out of the park home run. 
we would go home and tell our wives, man, you should have seen Joe tonight. He was on it. He had a hot bat. I mean, every time he got up to the plate, you knew it was going over the center field fence. We would talk about that with other people in the church. We would talk about that maybe even when we go home and talk to our wives. And Joe would be legendary for hammering it at the home plate every time he got the opportunity. But if Joe brings his grandkids to church on a Sunday morning because their parents aren't believers and he want to make sure that they don't miss out on hearing about Jesus, we don't go home and tell our wives, hey, Joe brought his grandkids to church this morning. Isn't that awesome? And when I generally talk to our guys and I ask rhetorical questions, I generally know what the answer is going to be back. But I remember one of our men answered me with a, a, a statement that I didn't really think through and it kind of struck me. I said, why don't we go home and tell our wives how impressed we are with Joe having his kids in Super Church on a Sunday morning, but we would go home and tell them about his batting skills. Why is that? And it was kind of a rhetorical question. I wasn't expecting an answer, but one of our men piped up and he says, because we don't value that. And I was just like, okay, I wasn't ready for that. But then the more I began to think about it, I thought that's so true. Why do we, even as Christian men, not value a guy who would bring his family to church, but we value a guy that can swing a baseball bat? Because we have our values misplaced. When it comes to God's way of doing things, we need to value the things that God values. And I entitled tonight's message, Valuing What God Values. But you see, in our world today, we place value on things that the world values. The world values attractiveness. The world values influence. The world values uh, money. The world values status and prestige and platforms and things like that. The world values those. But we're not the world. We're the children of God. We play by a different value system. God says you want to value someone. You don't value them based on how much money they have, how well they're dressed, you value them based on the things that I value. And that takes for some of us a little bit of a cultural shift. Because sometimes we think as Christians, we can kind of have one foot over here in the world and value the things that the world values, yet at the same time have one foot over here in God's world and we can kind of trade off how we want to. Please understand, that never works for anybody. You won't be worldly enough for the folks of this world, and you won't be Christian enough for what God expects you to be, so you need to really just pick a side. And James is challenging these new Christians here in this case. Now, again, mind you, James, the book of James was probably the first book of the New Testament that was ever written. You say, well, it doesn't come in that order. The order of the New Testament is not based on how they were written, but how they were written put together by those who basically canonized scripture and again canonization is a totally different conversation but the book of james was written to a group of people who didn't know how to act like christians they didn't have the book of first corinthians where paul calls out sin they didn't have the book of galatians where paul called out doctrinal error they didn't have the book of romans that explained the beautiful miracle that is salvation found in jesus christ they didn't have any of that they just knew the Old Testament and the way things used to be. So James writes a letter, James chapter 1, verse number 1, to the 12 tribes that are scattered. You new Christians that used to be followers of the Old Testament, here's how you're going to live going forward. And it basically, it's just a lot of just practical stuff about life. And I can't wait to get into like chapter 3 where he talks about the tongue and uh, the power of our words and things like that. Oh, it's, there's just so much good practicality. That's why we've entitled tonight to this uh, series, Practical Christianity. Because it's basically just the nuts and bolts on how to be a good Christian. But part of that is finding value in the things that God values and then realizing that the world system is a fake, phony, hierarchical structure. So look, if you're here tonight and you make six figures, I'm not impressed by that because God isn't impressed by that. If you drive a really fancy car, I'm not impressed with that because God's not impressed with that. Because I have to value the things that God values. If you came to the house of God tonight because you want to be with God's people, you want to hear from God's word and you want to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords, I greatly value that. And I don't care where you go tonight to lay your head. 
because I value the things that God values. You say, well, that's good, you're a pastor. No, no, that's not a pastoral thing, that's a Christian thing. And you need to get on God's economy on the way that things get valued. It doesn't matter what kind of job you have, what kind of title you have, where you've graduated from, where you went to school, how you're raised, how much money you have in your bank account, none of those things matter to God. And this is one of those passages that says explicitly, those things do not matter. Because frankly, it's all going to burn one day anyways. So, what does God value? We see verse number five this evening. God values those who are rich in faith. Take a look at verse number five. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Here's what, I love what James says here. And again, when you read the Bible, I mean like really read the Bible, instead of just like skimming through it like you're, you're, you're scanning the newspaper, when you really read it, it causes you to perk up a little bit because James says here in verse number five, hearken, my beloved brethren. A couple of things he's saying here. First of all, hearken means, hey guys, listen up. Listen up. I need you to hear this. My beloved brethren, brothers, sisters, you got to hear this. This is big. This is really important. He's drawing our attention to this. So we should perk up. What's he going to say that's going to be so revolutionary? Verse number five. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. Who were the people that God chose? They weren't the, the people that had a lot of money. He actually chose poor people instead. James is writing this to a group of people who used to probably live in Jerusalem. Just to give you a really quick uh, primer and refresher, the book of Acts, Jesus ascends into heaven, Tells the apostles and his followers, wait here until the Holy Spirit comes. When the Holy Spirit comes, this thing should go worldwide. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost. 2,000 people saved, baptized, added to the church. And then that week, thousands of people come to faith in Christ. And the church at Jerusalem exploded and overran with people. Then you have people who used to follow Judaism, now converting to Christianity. And persecution came. People says, oh, you're a follower of Jesus. We don't want nothing to do with you. You got kicked out of your house. You lost your job. The apostle Paul was not the apostle Paul at the time. He was Saul. And he came to Jerusalem to put Christians to death. In fact, Stephen was the first martyr of the church and died for his faith as a result. And people says, hey, this is crazy. It's getting out of hand. We got to split because Jerusalem's too hot right now. And so they began to scatter anywhere they could find room, whether it be in caves, hillsides. They started new villages. They moved to existing villages. And that's how the church started and then scattered. And you got all these Christians who don't really know what they're doing other than they believe in Jesus now, trying to do their own thing. So James writes a letter to them and says, hey guys, here's how it's done. So when James writes to these people, these are all people who have been displaced from their homeland to the 12 tribes scattered. These are not people who are rich or have a lot of money. These are people who are starting life over as adults. These are people who have lost everything for the cause of Christ and did it willingly. And here's what James says. Hey, look, when the gospel came, it didn't come to the rich people. It came to the poor people like you. So who are you to turn your nose up at poor people that come into your gatherings? Who do you think you are? God doesn't value the person with a lot of money. Who's the kingdom given to in verse number five, according to James? It's given to the poor that are what? Rich in faith. <laughs> you might not understand what just happened there. These are poor people, but they're actually filthy, stinking rich. Did you get that? Because their value isn't based on how much money they have. Their value is based on the richness of their faith. You want to impress God? Have bold faith. That impresses God. You see, God places no value on worldly riches. None. It doesn't matter to him. Think about this for a second. Every dollar that you have to your name is just a one and a zero in a bank account somewhere, and it doesn't amount to a hill of beans to God. 
You want to take it one step further in the context of the book of James. James chapter 1 tells you this. Every good and every perfect gift that you've ever had in your entire life, where did it come from? The Father up above. So you don't have anything to your name that wasn't given to you by God himself. It's like giving your kids Christmas presents and then being impressed by their Christmas presents. Wow, look at this bicycle. Where did this come from? I'm so impressed with your hot new wheels that you have. Where'd you get this bike from? No, I gave that to you. If anybody wants to be impressed, I should be impressed with myself, right? So to God, to be impressed with people who are rich, it's like, bro, I gave you that money anyways. Who do you think you are? Look, if, if it wasn't for the Lord, you and I wouldn't have breath in our lungs today. So God's not impressed by riches and worldly wealth because he was the creator of all that to begin with. Psalm chapter 20, verse number seven, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Isaiah 31, verse number one, woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help and stay on horses and trust in chariots because there are many and in horsemen because they're very strong, but look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Isaiah says, Isaiah 31 Man, it's embarrassing that followers of God, children of God, go to the world to get their stuff. That's shameful, he says. Same thing's true today. I feel sorry for Christians who try to get satisfaction from the things of this world. They've gone down to Egypt, which is a picture of the world and they trust in their chariots. We don't have chariots anymore. You know what we have? We have super cool SUVs. We got boats. We got jet skis. We got stuff to be impressed with. Woe unto them that trust in those things, but look not to the Holy One of Israel. Shameful. You want to impress God? You want to please God? There's one thing that does it, and one thing that we find in the Bible that is an absolute requirement for pleasing God. And you know what it is? Faith. Faith is a requirement for pleasing God. Keep your finger here in James, we're coming back. But turn over to the book of Hebrews, right before the book of James. Hebrews chapter 11. We sometimes refer to Hebrews 11 as the hall of faith. Because it talks about some really faithful men and women who did what was difficult because they trusted God. Hebrews 11.6 is one of my favorite verses in all of the New Testament. Hebrews 11, 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not improbable, not unlikely, it is impossible to please God without faith. Because he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is what? That he is who he says that he is, that he is the I am, that he is Jehovah God, that he is good to all the promises of his word. You've got to believe that, otherwise you can't please God. But here's the good news. If you will be that man of faith, that woman of faith, and trust God, do things his way, Hebrews eleven six 6 contains a beautiful, beautiful promise for you. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God says, I see that faith, and I'm going to bless your faith. I see what you're doing, to, and that pleases me, and I want to bless you more. So get this, you can either please the world or you can please God, but you cannot do both. Pick a side. Your faith is not impressive to the unsaved man. Your faith does not get you points with the world, but it's the only thing that pleases God. Your money, your status, your platform that you built for yourself might impress the world, but God doesn't care about any of that. So you've got to choose which value system you'll subscribe to. And I highly encourage you to subscribe to the Lord's value system. But here's another thing that God greatly values. God values those who are rich in faith, but God also values the reverence of his name. One of the Ten Commandments is that we would not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You know why? Because God's name is special. It's holy. We don't use it and say, oh my, and use God's name as something to exclaim. And some of us need to be careful too because we'll say, oh great, I'm stuck, stuck in traffic, praise the Lord. Eh, be careful with that. 
God's name is holy. It's special. And so God really cares about what people think of him. It's interesting, sometimes people think, well, like, God is like so proud that he's all worried about what people think about him. Again, if, if God were puffed up with himself or thought a lot of himself and wasn't willing to acknowledge his own flaws and faults that he had, then we could say that God is proud. But if God is perfect, if God is righteous, if God is holy, and in God, the way that James says, there's no variableness, God's not hot and cold, he deserves all the honor that he's due. He deserves our worship. Only he is worthy of our worship. So God's name is really, really important to him that his name would not be defiled in some way. Take a look at verse number seven. Here's what it says. Oh, verse number six. But you despise the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called? Hey, look. All these rich people that you think that you're impressed by, don't you forget how they treated you? And not only how they treated you, but now they're blaspheming the name of Jesus as a result of it. Guys, this is just flat out embarrassing. You're falling all over yourself to impress these rich people who don't like you and hate Jesus. This is embarrassing. So James says, Christians don't act like that. And again, when we talk about God's name, when we think about who God is, we talked about this a little bit this morning in the, the message that God doesn't just give us love because he is love. That's part of it, but that's not the end result. The end result of the Bible or, or God's plan or God's redemption, redemption plan for, for mankind or the gospel, the end and of itself is not that you and I would be saved and get our ticket punched to heaven. The end result of God's perfect plan results in his ultimate glory. You could say it this way. God exists for his glory. God doesn't exist for you and I, that we would be happy or that we would be content or that we would be comfortable. God exists for his glory. And you and I are tools to give God glory. I know that hurts some people's feelings to hear that, that you and I are simply cogs in a wheel that exist for the glory of God. But I consider it a high privilege and honor to be a cog in the wheel of the machine that cranks out the glory of God. I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of that. Because you know why? I tried living for myself and my own glory one time. It didn't work out so well. I've done it the world's way. And let me just tell you, there wasn't any satisfaction found there. So when we talk about God's mercy, his love, compassion and salvation all of these exist for his glory so are we beneficiaries of that definitely does it make my life better no doubt about it but please understand the end goal of god is not the salvation of mankind the end goal of god is the the ultimate glory of god god exists for the glory of god so here's where things get a little bit dicey Anything that detracts from the glory of God, God hates. It makes him angry. It frustrates God. So the fact that people would call themselves Christians, yet cause people to blaspheme the name of God, God's not pleased by that at all. Turn over if you would to the book of Deuteronomy, verse number seven, or chapter number seven, I'm sorry. I've heard people incorrectly say before that, oh, the Old Testament is just a bunch of history. You don't need to know it. <laughs> well, my Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, all of it. It's all good. So you need to understand the Old Testament so you can understand the character of who God is and why God does what he does. Deuteronomy chapter number seven, verse numbers seven and eight. You should circle these. You should start these. You should underline them in your Bible because it's really powerful because it explains a lot about the character of God. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse number seven. God's talking to the children of Israel. And he says this. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people for you were the fewest of all people. 
But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. God didn't choose you because you were the strongest or the best. God chose you because you were worthless to anyone else. And he wanted to show that he takes the weakest and makes them the strongest. The strongest nation known to mankind at this time was Egypt. There was no ruler like Pharaoh. Nobody. And God says, I'm going to take the people that started with an old man and his old wife that couldn't have kids and we're going to conquer that army, and we're going to take our freedom that belongs to us. And I'm going to do it in such a way that people are just like, what just happened here? How did all those slaves rise up against the strongest nation known to man? Oh, it must be their God that did that. Because there's no other explanation for it. And God says, yeah, that's what I want. You say, well, how does that apply to us? God could say this to you and I, that call ourselves the children of God. If you've been saved, if you've been born again, God didn't choose you because you were the strongest or because you were the best. He chose you because of his love and his grace so that he might lead you out of captivity to your sin with a mighty hand. And that he could overthrow sin, death, and the grave and show how powerful he is through weak people like you and I. That's what it says. But you see, the early Christians here and in, in the James is writing to had forgotten that. They'd forgotten that there were nobody. They thought there was somebody because they rubbed elbows with rich people even though they were broke. But because maybe the world would accept us, but they found out not only did the world not accept them and reject them, the world ended up blaspheming the name of God and that made God very, very angry as a result. You see, you and I have to be protectors of the name of Jesus. Protectors of the name of Jesus. One of the things that grieves me about counterfeit Christianity and people who call themselves Christians but don't live like it is you make Jesus look bad. You make Jesus look bad. And let me just tell you, Jesus is so good, it's hard to make him look bad, but many people do it. I was talking with one of our men this morning. I said to him, he said, hey, I'm in a new workplace. And I want to make sure that my, I have a good Christian witness there and I'm able to invite people to church, but I don't want to go too overboard, so I'm, I'm really trying to figure out how to do that best. I said, let people know that you're a Christian, and the number one thing that you can do is live like a Christian every single day consistently. Because if you let people know you're a Christian, they're going to be waiting for you to fail, and they're going to pick you apart like a bunch of vultures. They're waiting for you to fail. Man, you guys that are in the military, you call yourself a Christian, you put the hoodie sticker on your, the bumper of your car, they're waiting for you to go on TDY to see how you act once you get off the plane and nobody's watching. They're just waiting. And when you belly up to the bar and start downing shots with everybody else, they'll be like, yep, I knew it. I knew it. Get him away from his little church. Get him away from his wife. Get him away from his responsibilities. He's just like everybody else. And you know what that does? It blasphemes the name of Jesus. For the ladies who want to gossip about everybody that they know and tell all the salacious details about what's going on and build themselves up to be somebody that they're not, you're just making real Christians look bad. Knock it off. Well, that's pretty harsh, Pastor. Jesus takes the holiness of his name very seriously. Therefore, because I value what God values, and you should too, you should take the name of Jesus very seriously. It should be a holy thing for you and I to call ourselves Christians. I read a statistic the other day that said 75% of Americans consider themselves Christians. I thought, what a joke. It's embarrassing. 75% of Americans not even remotely close. That just goes to show the world doesn't know what a real Christian is. And most people when asked why they consider themselves a Christian said because they believe in God. Come on. But here's the thing. The majority of people that you know have never seen a real Christian who, who lives like it. They just don't know what it looks like. 
They see the, the rubbish that they see on TV that we saw clips of this morning. People talking about money, people talking about prosperity, people talking about streets of gold and, and things like that. They don't know how Christians love, how Christians serve, how Christians give, how Christians are compassionate about how they care about people. All they see is people waving on uh, posters on uh, the internet of how God hates people. All they know is the one guy that stands out at the Great Aloha Run every single year with a big, huge sign that says, turn or burn. And I think to myself, like, I'm trying to make a good time on my run, and I don't want to stop and talk to this guy, but somebody should stop and talk to this guy and say, look, dude, there's a better way, I promise. Like, turn or burn. Does that mean if I keep running towards the stadium, I'm going to burn? What does that mean? Like, it just, is it true that people will, will burn if they don't turn? Definitely. But is there a better way? For sure. A loving, caring, compassionate Christian who can sit down and say, hey, I got something I want to tell you that'll change your life because it changed mine. You might not want to hear this, but I'm going to tell it to you anyways. Because I've listened to your Tupperware pitch 101 times and I haven't bought anything from you yet. At least hear me out, right? Hey, I value you. And I want you to know about the God that I know. Again, we went to a, a church last week uh, on vacation. It was a good church. The preacher preached the gospel. I was thankful for that. Uh, the songs that they sang, I didn't know. I connected with them doctrinally, but I couldn't sing them because I didn't know the tune, and it wasn't an easy tune to follow. And I just, I, We talked to two people, the two guys that opened the door for us. It was the only two people I talked to the whole time I was there. And I told my wife on the way back, and it was funny because as we were leaving the service, the, the next service was coming in, and it was primarily a lot of old people. And all the old people we walked past kind of gave us that furrowed brow stare as we walked past, the, the kind of old people do, you know? And I don't know if it's because they couldn't see or what, but the, it was a furrowed brow stare. You see people in walkers with the furrowed brow stare as we were walking. Didn't say anything, just like looking, like you don't belong here. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, if... I was an unsaved man and think to myself, I don't know nothing except I got to get my family to the house of God. I would have walked in there. Nobody spoke to me. I heard a message from the Bible about how I could be saved. I was thankful for that. I was given an opportunity at the end of the service to walk forward into an auditorium where I knew no one to, to meet with three guys that were standing in the front. They were doing their best to try to look friendly. They wanted to talk to me about being saved. I was thankful for that. But then I gather my family, and I walk out the door. Nobody speaks to me, but I get stares in the parking lot. And I think to myself, I wasn't wearing a tie like everyone else was wearing. I was wearing a, a, a polo shirt and a pair of khakis. Was I underdressed? Why are these people looking at me with a furrowed brow and no one's speaking? Maybe it's because I don't belong here. Maybe it's because I don't fit in. Maybe it's because people know that I'm not a Christian. And I thought to myself, oh, man. And as a pastor, I thought to myself, I'm running through everything in my brain. I thought, God, please never let that be who we call her. Never. Where people say, I don't think I fit here. Like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but it's obvious that what you are is not who I am. Therefore, I need to find somewhere else. And, and it was just, oh, man, it, it hurt my heart. But we have to think things in terms of, it's our job to glorify God, but if we don't and we live for ourselves, we end up blaspheming the name of God, and we're the protectors of the name of Jesus. Again, uh, it's a, uh, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 1, let as many servants that are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. He's talking to slaves Slaves, I want you to treat your masters in such a way that the name of God is not damaged because they know that you're Christians. Timothy, I need you to teach your people that. And you say, wow, that's crazy, slavery. It's so applicable today. Employees, treat your employers in such a way that the doctrine and the name of God be not blasphemed. What does that mean? Be the hardest worker in the room. Be there on time every time. Don't get involved in workplace drama. Don't be a gossip. Don't be problematic. Live with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Live your life like that so that the name of God doesn't get hurt. Look, let me just tell you this. 
If you're a lazy sloth at work, you want to use foul language, you want to talk about your wife as the old lady, you want to look at pornography, you want to be in on the office gossip, please, for the name of God, don't call yourself a Christian. Because you make it hard for the people that are really trying to live it. And you hurt the name of God. Tell people you're a Jehovah's Witness or something, for heaven's sakes. Don't tell them you're a Christian. I'll even give you some Watchtower magazines to carry around. Don't hurt the name of God. I, I, God says this to, through Isaiah, in Isaiah 48, verse number 9. God is angry with the children of Israel. Again, you just need to read the Old Testament. I'll summarize it for you. God chooses the children of Israel. He does awesome things for them. They disobey, and then God chastens them. And then they repent. And then they disobey, God chastens them. Continue this cycle on for, I don't know, a couple thousand years. That's the Old Testament. So in one of these cycles of disobedience to God, here's what God says in Isaiah chapter 48, verse number 9. For my name's sake will I defer my anger, and for my praise will I refrain from thee, that I cut thee not off. I would take you out to the woodshed and light you up and leave you for dead if it wasn't for my name. But because my name's attached to you, I can't treat you that way. What does that say about God? That says he values his name higher than anything else. And here's the thing. You and I are walking billboards for the name of Jesus if you call yourself a Christian. It's a big deal. So don't take that lightly. I hope you're out and proud as a Christian. I hope you're not an undercover Christian or a closet Christian or trying to do it on the down low. I hope you're proud of being a Christian in a humble sense, right? But here's the thing. If you're going to walk the, talk the talk, make sure you walk the walk. Make sure your life backs up the name Christian, which means little Christ. Make sure that people can see Jesus through you. Don't just be somebody who throws a, a Bible verse on your social media once every six months and shows up to church. Protect the name of Jesus because it's worth protecting. Next, come back to James chapter 2 if you're not there already. God values those that are rich in faith. God values the reverence of his name. God values the lost soul. Take a look at verse number six. You despise the poor. You, you basically turned your back on your own kind and hated them because you're poor too. Do not rich men oppress you. You're not even liked by the rich people that you're trying to impress and draw you to, before the judgment seats. Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called? Hey, you're called by a worthy name, but they're not. And you should be trying to draw them to Christ, but you're repelling them from Christ. Knock it off. God values those that don't yet know Christ. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And if you're here tonight, here's the nuts and bolts of what you need to know about the Bible. You have broken God's law, and because of that, you stand in danger of God's judgment. God's judgment is in a place called hell, where God's wrath will be poured out for all eternity in a place of real fire, real pain that never ends. That's facts. That's what I deserve because I've broken God's law. That's what you deserve because you've broken God's law. There's none righteous, no, not one for all sin and come short of the glory of God. But God loves you and God loves me and because God desires the glory of his name, he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died for me. I was supposed to be punished for my sin, but Jesus was punished for my sin. And because of that... God makes it so that Jesus can pay for my sin. We sometimes refer to that in theological terms as the substitutionary atonement. I'm made at peace with God by the substitutionary sacrifice of another person. His name is Jesus. I can't pay for your sins. I got my own sins to deal with. There's not a church in the world or a baptism in the world that can wash away your sins. Only Jesus can. But it requires you to make a decision for yourself. I can't make it for you. You have to come to a place of faith, believing that God is who he says that he is, believing that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and that you have to come to a place of repentance. I realize that I'm wrong, and I want to make things right with God. 
called being saved, being born again. Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You must be saved to go to heaven. And because God values the lost soul, he can't afford for his name to be blasphemed. Why would you want to follow a God that didn't make a change in somebody's life? That's why a poor Christian testimony actually hurts the gospel. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're trying to tell me that God changes lives. Oh, yeah. Changes you from the inside out. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. <laughs> yeah, why haven't you changed then? Oh, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. God's still working on me. Yeah, but you didn't change. Yeah, I know, but God can change anybody. Yeah, but he didn't change you. Yeah, I know. He's still working on me. So it doesn't really work then, right? Well, no, it just takes time. How long? Well, look, nobody wants to take financial advice from a guy who's declared bankruptcy four times. Nobody wants to follow a Christian who hasn't been changed by the grace of God. Hey, look, you're falling over yourselves to try to impress the rich people who hate your guts and hate Jesus. Why? Because you set them up on a pedestal and you've despised poor people. And if you don't remember, it's the poor people who are rich in faith that God has given his kingdom to. Verse number five. Oh, got it. Right. So again, you want to call yourself a Christian? Live it. You say, well, I'm just not going to call myself a Christian. You're missing the point. This is time to take a step up. This is a time to be what God's called you to be. It's a time to really live it, maybe for the first time in your life. I got saved when I was a nine-year-old boy, but I can tell you this, I didn't walk with Jesus until I was a 22-year-old man. I didn't know there was a difference. I called myself a Christian, but I never lived like it. Maybe some of you, it's time to put your big boy pants on, your big girl pants on, and live like a committed Christian. That's what God's calling you to do. Otherwise, you're just hurting the name of Jesus, and nobody wants to hurt the name of Jesus. And I've known people before who say, well, if it's so hard to be a Christian, I think I'll just quit. It's not hard. It's really not. Just do what God tells you to do. It's simple, but death to self is difficult. The decision to follow Jesus and lay everything that I have to the side to be everything that God wants me to be, that's the hard part. But once you get over the hump of fully surrender to God, it's like cake from then on out. Difficult times will come, but it's nothing you can't handle with the Word of God and the Spirit of God inside of you. So James was writing to these Christians saying, hey guys, wait, 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 this isn't how Christians live. We don't do this kind of stuff because God's name is great and he values the lost soul. But you know what else God values? God values grace and God values love. Again, if you take a look at verse number six, but you've despised the poor. That's not God, how God works. And they said, well, yeah, well, we've been poor and we've been treated that way before. I mean, again, James says to them, you've been oppressed by the rich people and they draw you out and basically call out all of your wrongs, pull you to judgment seats, he says. Well, yeah, we've been treated that way, so that's just what we do. That's how we treat people. No, no, that's not what Christians do. Grace. Grace is unmerited favors, giving people things that they don't deserve. Grace forbids us from treating other people the way we've been treated. I remember when I was in boot camp in the Navy. Boys, let me tell you what it's like from a salty old sailor. Back in my day, you used to have to do stuff like this. Back in my day, I'm telling you, it wasn't like you bunch of sissies like you are now. Okay, sounds great. I'm going to treat people the way that I was treated. You need to know what it's like to feel pain, to hurt, to sacrifice, to push. That's fine in military contexts. That's fine if you're a member of a basketball team. That's fine if you play sports. That's not how Christians do. Nobody has to pay their dues. Think about that. Well, I've been walking with Jesus for two decades. These people need to learn some stuff. Yeah, they do need to learn, but they don't have to pay their dues. You know why? Because Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. I don't have to work my way up in the ranks. 
Look, if you were in a church before where you were treated unkindly, doesn't mean you get to turn around and, and show other people what it's like. It's not, it's not like that. We give grace. And James is saying, you despise the poor when you guys were poor. You know what it's like to be them, but you treat them unkindly. Don't do that because you've been there before. And look, every single person in this room has walked into a church building before and thought to themselves before they opened the front door, I don't know if I fit here or not. But I'm just going to go in anyways and hope for the best. Every single one of us. And you know what that feels like. You need to remember that. Well, yeah, those people probably get to know some people that actually show up to a small group like I do. Yeah, they'd probably meet some people if they'd actually get out of their seat and talk to people and be friendly like me. Wait, wait, no, no, no. These two people need grace. Look, people should know from the second that they walk in the front door here at who we call it, you're loved and you're accepted here. Everybody should know that. They should feel that. And again, our church isn't for everybody, and I get that. But they should walk out saying, I heard the Bible and I was loved. Bare minimum. James is saying, you don't treat people how you were treated. And again, if you have a bad church experience, you need to heal from that and you need to grow from that and make sure that that never happens to another person ever again. But grace, God values that. God values love. And a lack of grace and love fails to show Jesus to the world. I want to be gracious. I want to be kind I want to be loving. Why? Because that's how God is with me. I want to be generous. If I know somebody has a need, I want to try to help meet that need. Not because I'm a pastor, because I'm a Christian who's been saved by the grace of God. I want to love because I have been loved. God values that. You got a bunch of money that you hoard for yourself. God doesn't care about that. You know who Jesus was impressed with in the Gospels? When it came to money, the widow with one mite, less than a penny in our currency. Jesus says, hold up, guys, watch this lady over here. You see what she did? She just gave more than everybody here. You know why? Because she gave out of her poverty, she gave everything that she had. Jesus was impressed by that. He wasn't impressed by the rich people who threw out a, a couple of bucks to God and made big, long prayers. Not impressed by that. God is impressed with love. He's impressed with grace because that's his character. That's who he is. You know why? Because our, our society doesn't value grace. They don't value love. For men to be able to say to other men, hey, brother, I love you and I prayed for you this week. That's just weird to people. Dudes don't say I love you to other dudes. That's not how this is done. God values love. Our world doesn't value grace. You give to people what they deserve. <laughs> You're a jerk, I'm going to give you what you got coming to you. You're nice to me, I'm going to give you what's coming to you. Grace says, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, whether you're nice or not. God values that. And when we show love, when we show grace, we show the character of God. You need to think about that for a second. If you call yourself a Christian, you need to show the character of God, the character of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? Jesus loved people. Jesus was grace. Jesus was kind. Jesus was generous. Jesus gave over and above what anybody ever asked of him. He spent time with people and he really, really cared one of my goals for my life, like life goals, is that when I take my last breath on planet Earth, that someone that I knew somewhere on planet Earth would think to themselves, some of you are going to laugh, this just might be funny to you, but it's, it's real for me. That somebody would think to themselves, I'm not sure what Jesus was like, but I imagine he was a lot like Anthony. If one person thought that, I would say my life was a smashing success because I just wanted to display the character of Jesus. I want my life to draw people to Jesus. That when I say I'm a Christian, they're like, oh, light bulb, hello. It all makes sense now. Of course you're a Christian. 
Why? Because I want to value the things that God values. Look, God's blessed me above and beyond what I deserve. I want to be gracious and kind and loving, compassionate, generous with other people too. Next, God values justice. God doesn't allow things to go unchecked. If you're not saved, know this. God's judgment is coming for your sin and you'll pay for it one day. And it'll be worse than you could ever possibly imagine if you're not a child of God. If you're a child of God, your debt has already been paid by Jesus Christ. It's been paid in full. You don't, you're not on the hook for any of that. If you continue to sin against God's grace, you will be lovingly and painfully disciplined only because God loves you and wants to bring you back into a right relationship with him. It's called chastening. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12 if you're taking notes tonight. God chastens whom he loves. But here's the thing. God doesn't allow sin to go unchecked because he's just. We, uh, we're on the mainland. I haven't driven a car for hours at a time. Like, here's how of a lightweight that I am. And back in the day, I used to be able to drive six, eight hours, not stop at all, right? Like, stop, get gas, get back on the road. Because I hate, like, passing a car, and then you stop to get gas, and you come back and have to pass the car again. I hate that on road trips. Oh, man. But here's what happened. We got, like, an hour and 15 minutes into the road trip, and I'm like, I got to get out and stretch. I got to get coffee. It's just like, I can't hang, you know? Hour and 15 minutes? This is terrible. <laughs> but here's what I did. As I drove, if the speed limit was 70, I'd set the cruise control at like 78. And you think to yourself, like, it's not 10 over, so it's not that big of a deal. But 8 miles an hour for, you know, 4 hours adds up, right? And so you think to yourself, like, I could be there 30 minutes earlier than what I had just by bumping it up a little bit. But I had my little Waze app open on my phone to look on the interstate for police officers, right? There's a police detected in one mile, you back off to like 72, right? It's not going to go the speed limit, it's going to go a smidge over. <laughs> and by the grace of God, I did not get a speeding ticket. I have confessed my sin to the Lord and now I've confessed it to you and so we're, we're good. But <laughs> here's the idea. Can you imagine... A state trooper set up with his gun. Cars are rolling past at 90, 95, 120 miles an hour. He's just got his gun out. You're like, bro, what are you doing? Like, what are you waiting for? Like, go get him. I even saw one police car. This was dirty. You get down there, you slow down as you go past it. And you see people, when they get to it, speed back up. You're like, what's going on? We drove past a car that was empty. And it's like, bro, that's dirty. Like, you look like you're there, but you're not really. But, like, the idea that guys can be out there with the, the, the speed gun and just let cars zoom past, almost look at it and go, well, that's dumb. Why? Because even we recognize the need for justice. But here's the problem with justice. <laughs> we love justice when it's for somebody else, don't we? Oh, I hope they get what's coming to them. Man, I hope they, the judge throws the book at that guy. And we hear people having cases dismissed or they plead out and, and time serves. And we're just like, that's just not justice at all. We had a guy one time in our church here back in the very beginning had committed a crime, was guilty of it, asked me to write a letter asking for leniency from the judge. And so this guy had gotten saved and turned his life around and made some big changes and stuff like that. But hey, look, part of me is like, bro, you did the crime. You need to do the time, you know? Why? Because we have a need for justice. God isn't any different because God created justice. God loves justice. You say, well, that's kind of a dirty thing to do. Like God enjoys throwing the book at people. I didn't say God enjoys punishment. I said God enjoys justice and there's a difference. Why? Because God's justice is an opportunity for God's love, God's grace, and God's mercy to shine through. If you and I weren't on the hook for punishment, we wouldn't need grace. If God just accepted us as we are, we wouldn't need his love and acceptance. We wouldn't need God to be merciful if he didn't have justice. So imagine this. Oh man, this is good. Put on your thinking cap because this could get a little bit deep for some of you. God created a justice system where the failure rate would be 100%. 
for the sole purpose of displaying his grace, mercy, and love so that he could get more glory. How about that? Oh, it's all starting to click. I get it. God sets us up a system where all of us will fail so that he can rescue us so that he can get more glory, 100%. Why? Because it's all about the glory of God. All of it, 100%. So God loves justice. You take a look at verse number nine again. If you have respect to persons, you commit sin, and you're convinc- convinced of the law as transgressors. Hey, you can't treat people differently because that violates God's law. And when you violate God's law, God has to bring justice. That brings us into verse number 10, which we will not get into tonight. I'm saving it for next week. But God loves justice because it allows his grace to shine. So, a couple of final thoughts and we're done. I'm going to go through these really quick. First of all, surround yourself with others who have a strong faith. I was talking to uh, one of our men today. And I said, when I go to the gym, I don't want to hang out with the schlubs that are 75 pounds overweight on the elliptical for 10 minutes watching... Mari Povich. Those are not the people I want to hang out with. I want to hang out with the guys that are over in the corner deadlifting 450 pounds. Those are the guys I want to hang out with. I want to hang out with the guys that are still putting 45 plates on the end of the squat rack. Let me hang out with those dudes. Why? Because I want to be stronger. I don't want to go waste my time with people who don't have the same goals that I do. By the same token, you want to be a better Christian, hang out with better Christians. You don't hang out with the knuckleheads that you work with that blaspheme the name of Jesus. Come on. Well, if there were only a place where you could go to find committed Christians who wanted to walk with Jesus and serve him, if there was like a place where you could go and meet people that are like-minded like that, they should create an app or something. No, God created something that's called the church. Look, this place isn't perfect. These people aren't perfect. I guarantee you that. This guy included but for the most of us, we're trying to go that direction. we got the same end goal in mind. And let me just tell you this, let tonight be a night that you're put on notice. If that you don't have the glory of God in mind, you need to jump on board or do something else. Because you don't want to hurt the name of Jesus. You say, well, I just don't know if I can live up to pastor's expectations. It's not my expectations, it's God's expectations. And I purposely said God like that. Look, I said this morning, if you can't have fun in church, you can't have fun anywhere. But look, it's not my expectation for your life. Well, a pastor has some measure that I've got to measure up to. I don't have any measurement for you other than God's word. And it's not my expectation. If you fail, I don't judge you. God does. Simple as that. So surround yourself with people who have a strong faith. Next, see, everyone is a lost soul that needs Jesus. Every single person you come in contact with is somebody that needs Jesus. 100%. 100%. From your mail carrier to the person who makes your drink at Starbucks to your waitress at the restaurant, wherever you go is filled with people that need Jesus. Talk them up. You got plans for this weekend? Absolutely. I'm going to one of the places that's my favorite places in all the world. <gasps> really? Where are you going? You going to Disney? Nope, even better than Disneyland. Where? I'm going to church. Oh, I thought you were going to say somewhere cool. No, it is cool. Maybe you've never been to a cool church before. Let me tell you, I attend the best church since the book of Acts. I happen to have an invitation in my pocket to said church. Man, everybody needs Jesus. And even people that know Jesus need to know other Christians that love Jesus. So see, every person is an opportunity to share your faith with people. There are people in our church here tonight that are here because somebody cared enough to say, hey, I'd like to invite you to our church. Arturo joined our church last week. You know how Arturo found our church? Because Jubilee served him his coffee, and she said, hey, do you go to church anywhere? And he says, no, I'm a Christian, but I haven't gone to church in a long time. She said, you should come to our church. And he did. And guess what? Arturo told me this. He probably, he didn't give me permission to share it, but I'm going to share it anyways. (laughs) He said, Pastor, God's made such a change in my life through this church. And he says, Pastor, no lie. Jubilee saved my life. He goes, don't get me wrong. Jesus did the work, but he used Jubilee to do it. And that, that like hit me like a ton of bricks. 
Like one girl making coffee, not a glamorous job, but she said, hey, I'm using this as an opportunity to give God glory. And look what the Lord did. How about that? Next, remember where you came from? Don't ever forget that. You see, the people that James was writing to, they forgot what it was like to be poor and mistreated. Don't ever forget where you came from. And don't ever forget for a split second, were it not for the grace of God, you'd be in the biggest mess in the world. You'd probably be dead. And every single one of us without the grace of God would split hell wide open. Don't forget that. The problem comes when people think that they're somebody when they're hot stuff. Oh, I'm not like them anymore. Praise God. I'm not like that crowd over there. Praise God. (laughs) You know who also did that? Pharisees. Oh, God, thank you that I'm not like this terrible, awful sinner over here. I'm better than that. Don't forget where you came from. I, I, I admit, I used to look down on people. I used to be, make fun of people. When you see guys that have their ears stretched out like you can shove a Coke can through it, men with their fingernails painted, wearing pants down around their knees, and have them wear a pair of shorts underneath their pants because their pants hang so low, and they got a big wallet chain hanging off the back, and then they're holding the hand of their, their kid who they had out of wedlock with their third girlfriend. And I just look at that and go, what a mess you are. Good grief. You know what I do now? I look at that and I say, it hurts my heart that something happened to him. I don't know what his story is, but I know there's a lot of hurt and pain behind that. And I know the only person that could help that was Jesus. And were it not for the grace of God, you'd be able to stick your fist through my earlobes too. Simple as that. I don't look down on anybody anymore. I have compassion on people. You know why? Because that's the characteristic of Jesus. It hurts my heart when people don't know Jesus. It hurts my heart when people curse God's name. It hurts my heart when people use God's name as a curse word. You know why? Because they don't know the Jesus that I know. And I just need to remember where I came from. Final thought. Protect the name of Jesus by protecting your testimony. I'm going to make sure that the name of Jesus isn't blasphemed on my watch, and if it is, I'm going to fix it. Man, when I, I started walking with Jesus, and Angela and I decided to make a major change in our life, that from here on out, for the rest of our days, we're going to walk with Jesus. I had to go to some people that I worked with when I was in the Navy in my office and say, hey, guys, I just want to let you know that I'm a Christian now, and I'm really sorry for the way that I've been behaving because that's not right. And no lie, I can remember to this day the look on their faces like, okay, like, okay, no, no, no. I know it's not a big deal for you, but it's a big deal for me that you know that. I haven't been living right, but I'm making some changes, and I want to do better, and I'm sorry for that. Okay, man, that's cool. You do you. That's fine. I just wanted you to know. You know why? Because I didn't want the name of Jesus to be blasphemed on my watch. And I still live with that in mind today. Hey, look, here's a crazy thought. I got people in our church handing out invitations to our church, and if you flip it over on the back, you know whose picture's on there? Mine. And I take that seriously. I really do. I've had people say nasty stuff to me on social media because they found an invitation on their front door. Hey, look, I'm sorry that we put that there. We'll put you on a list. We'll never do it again. I'm really sorry. Why? Because I don't want Jesus to look bad. I've got to live my life in such a way that people find out that I'm a Christian that it will make sense for them, not that they'll be repulsed by it. Well, that's good. You're the pastor. you got your picture on the track. No, I do it because I'm a Christian. I did it before I was a pastor. Why? Because Jesus' name's a big deal. If you're here tonight and you don't know that you're a Christian, you don't know for sure if you died today that heaven is your home, please don't leave here tonight without knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. It'll take five to ten minutes. We can open up the Bible, a guy with a guy, a lady with a lady, to show you the most incredible story you've ever heard in your entire life and give you the opportunity not to join our church or to get baptized or to take a class, but to know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. But for those of us that would call ourselves Christians, oh man, I would say this is the week to live like it, but this is the rest of your life to live like it. You might need to fix some things this week to get back on track, but by all means, get back on track. 
You might be here tonight saying, hey, I've never really lived like a Christian before. I know I've done the same thing before. I was 23, no, I'll take it back. I was 24 years old when I decided I'm all in lock, stock, and barrel till the day that I die. And let me just tell you this, changed my life. Hey, look, only reason you're sitting here tonight is because that decision I made when I was 24 years old. Guaranteed. And look, I cannot wait to see what God does after I'm dead and gone because of that decision that I made. So maybe you need to say tonight, from here on out, I'm just going to do the real Christian thing and quit straddling the fence and trying to be a fake. I'm going to do it for real. And if you're here tonight and I've hurt your feelings in some way by being direct, being harsh, that was never my intention. I'm passionate about the name of Jesus. I'm passionate about using spiritual fruit in your life. I'm passionate about a church that would be holy and righteous and love Jesus enough so that we wouldn't cause Jesus' name to be blasphemed. I'm, I'm big on that. And so if my directness or the way that I've talked in some way have, have hurt your feelings or made you feel bad, I feel sorry for you feeling bad. I really do. But I want you to know it's 100% out of love. Not only for you, but for the name of Jesus. But I want you to have that same passion. Oh yeah, Jesus is good. That's what I want. That's how I want to live. Let's live like that this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.